When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Sometimes needing new tyres can catch us by surprise. That's why tyre power gives you the power of zip pay and zip money. You can get what you need now, get back on the road safely and pay for it later. Terms and conditions apply. So visit tyrepower.com.au or call 13 21 91. The award-winning Crunch Time. Out the back to memory. Oh, look at this. Higgins is off to the races. He's got 40 metres all to himself inside 450. Runs into the goal square and kicks his ball. The Saints keep marching on with four straight wins. The Crows topple the Tigers and Melbourne make a statement. Are they unstoppable? We discuss which teams might be able to challenge the Premiers as they look to go back-to-back. While it's a happy Easter for Simon Goodwin and his D's the same, can't be said for Leon Cameron and Damian Hardwick. Oh, I think for one of the, the strengths of our footy club is we generally grind out a, a goal. The thing that you'll probably find noticeable tonight, the reason we lost the game is we gave up 10 goals, 5 from stoppage. Um, so the inside 50 stuff is something that we've been pretty good at this year. Probably tonight our efficiency wasn't as clean as we would be, but that's generally because of the, uh, the high number of forward-up turnovers. So you look over it and you go, OK, well, if, I just said to our players, I said, that's, that's the best thing. That's what they do to you. And they just punished us in the third quarter, and, um, and that's the disappointing part. It's a game there. So that's frustrating, but really, really disappointed in our third quarter. It's, that's, that's all I can really say. Pressure mounting on Leon Cameron as the Giants slump to one and four. Can the return next week of Toby Green help to kickstart their season? And what next for Damian Hardwick and his Tigers will unpack all of that and more on Sunday Crunch Time. Great to have your company wherever you are listening today. It is a glorious Easter Sunday here in Melbourne. Josh Jenkins to join me shortly. He's stuck on an Easter egg hunt, I believe. He's still searching for all the Easter eggs that uh, might be there. I think he's probably OD'd. So Sam Hargraves has jumped in the hot seat for me this morning. Happy Easter to you. Happy Easter to you too, Nat. Just happened to be the neighbourhood, heard the (laughs) SOS and thought, why don't I saunter on in and just talk a bit of footy because there's heaps to talk about and uh, Easter egg hunts I actually set one up uh, for the beautiful Evie my partner at home we live in a very small two-bedroom apartment yes halfway through the bowl of eggs how do you reckon I was going for hiding spots <laughs> not well I'm you guessing should, I, I found some weird I said have you had a vitamin C today and she said no I said well there's one in there <laughs> I didn't know where to put things they're in the, the dishwasher I put them in the oven 
Oh, they're everywhere. Yeah, it's good fun though. Great We're... fun, great fun. How's your uh, Easter weekend been? Yeah, it's been pretty good actually. We did a little Easter egg hunt at our place. It was Evie's uh, first Easter egg hunt and she went absolutely bananas. So she's got chocolate everywhere. So I'm looking forward to having to clean that up when I get home from radio. I might just stay <laughs> oh, here at the so MCG cute. today to watch Carlton Port Adelaide and just avoid that mess, I think. Absolutely. Um, that's very cute. How old is she? She's two and a half. So there you we know, go. just finding well, out what Evie's 37 is. and a half. So there you go. <laughs> <laughs> you never lose that hey, childlike innocence. It's been a massive uh, Easter weekend of, of footy so far. Yesterday in particular, I mean, St Kilda, so impressive. Yep. Four straight wins in a row now. And I feel like in some ways, maybe we underrated them. I'm not sure. How did you see St Kilda coming into season 2022? Definitely not in the top eight. Yeah. I, I thought that maybe the, the year they had in the COVID year of 2020 might have been a bit of a flash in the pan. I thought the team saw that figured them out pretty easily um, last year and they weren't able to push through uh, what was being put in front of them. But, geez, their intent to run, to pressure, to, to chase, to tackle, their, their forward half defensive stuff is as good as anyone in the competition, maybe even as good as Melbourne's. Yeah. And then what they're doing, I mean, their efficiency going inside forward 50 is at about 60% at the moment, which is off the charts. They're scoring. They've got multiple avenues to goal, they look dangerous. And it's just amazing given that when a lot of the criticism, Nat, was that they didn't go deep enough. You know, their their midfield doesn't bat deep enough. They don't have enough stars. They don't have enough. Well, they're four and one. They've certainly got enough of something. And I think that's heart, grit, uh, gut run, all those things. So I'm really impressed with St Kilda and really enjoying watching them play because they just want to score. They want to take the game on. They want to run. They want to be quick. And that's what's enjoyable to watch about footy this year for the teams that are doing it. Oh, certainly. I mean, Jack Higgins, five goals. What a great story. He is, you know, roundly criticised in round one mm. after kicking 0-4. Um, bounce back. And he's just been through so much, not just, you know, at his time at the Tigers with those brain surgeries as well. It's always good to see him back and fit and firing. And then Max King, you throw him in the mix. Jade Gresham is just such a classy player. I know one of the goals he kicked from the pocket was an absolute mung, but he is just an elite player, as you say, 100 games. And it's so good to see him back up and firing after all the injury issues he's been through over the last sort of 18 months. We wrong. I think I've had it in my head that he's been around forever. And when are we going to see the best of him? And, you know, I mean, he was a top 20 draft pick and I think it was 2015. Or 2015 when Wiedering and Shaki went one and two. Mm. And he's taking his opportunity being injury-free to show us just how many tricks he's got in his bag. I mean, he's another one that's got the ability to run. The criticism of St Kilda is always, yeah, they're all very well and good when they're running a certain way, but maybe not when they're running uh, the other way. Um, Jack Steele, I think, is one of the best captains as far as a lead-by-example captain in the competition, and he's an all he, he is an everything. I'll bring my everything. I'll leave everything out there. I'll give every bit of myself that I have. Last year, that was a criticism of St Kilda. This year, I don't think you can criticise them for that, and um, it's a credit to them. And the stand-in coaches just continue to have a perfect start. Five from five now with Brendan Lade obviously getting that win yesterday in place of Brett Ratton, who I believe called David Rath about 50 times, apparently, according to (laughs) Brendan Lade in his uh, post-match press conference. So the Saints certainly are travelling well. We will unpack that a little bit more um, later on on Sunday crunch time. The other one that was such a brilliant game, and I wasn't sure. When I looked yesterday at the fixture, I was like, okay, I'm curious about St Kilda Gold Coast because I want to see 
how the Gold Coast Suns go after beating Carlton the week before. But the one that I was like, oh, maybe I won't tune into this one, was Adelaide Richmond and the Crows. That turned out to be an absolutely cracking game. The thing that impressed me the most about the Adelaide Crows was the fact that when Richmond came back at them in that third quarter and kicked four goals in a row, they were managed to arrest the momentum and they were composed and they managed to steady the ship and then get back in front. That showed a little bit of maturity for mine yep. and a progression. Oh, I think you've summed it up perfectly. That was all. I mean, I think everybody, when Richmond kicked four in a row, just went, yep. oh, Here that we was go. a good effort. <laughs> Well done, Adelaide. You've, you've done well. But, you know, again, another team that was keen to put pressure on, to, to be manic in their uh, defensive efforts, um, they took momentum back and then they were able to stretch Richmond. I mean, people will point to a very, very favourable free kick count. Um, I don't really... I don't really buy too much into that. There Does was it some need that to be there. even? Like, no, is there a rule that says no, the free isn't. kick count needs to be even? There isn't. They've had, a, they've had a decent run. I was looking at some numbers today, Adelaide. But what was impressive was, um, again, it's the lesser lights. I think that Ben Keyes is their best player yep. and their most important. I've mean, been a big fan of his. I got to know him a little bit when he was at Brisbane. He's a ripping young man. Um, he works his behind off. He, he gives everything of himself. Um, the way he prepares and, and the way he trains and the way that he, he gets himself up. Um, and now he's getting the rewards for it. He's averaging over 30 disposal a year, which doesn't mean much at the moment. I mean, Kane Corns has been big on this, that never has a possession meant less. But it's what he does. It's in the possessions that, that for me, I think matter. So he had 30-odd yesterday, and he's averaging yep. that third in the competition at the moment. But he had eight clearances. Five of them were centre clearances. He had 10 score involvements. That's six inside 50s, 478 metres. Um, I think he's their most consistent, and I think he's the, actually their best player yep. uh, at the He's minute. having an impact, isn't yeah. he? And, and, that's, and when you've got a young side, I would imagine that and I, when, when Josh Jenkins establishes his connection to us, being a former Crow, when they've got this young side, that's the kind of guy that you want to point to to say that's our standard about what, how, what, where, how we go in terms of effort and training and prep. And then Josh Rochelle, if, oh. if there's not about 10,000 more number eights getting sold... He had, I think he had six disposals up until three-quarter time, yep. Nat, and then kicked 2-2 two, two from five disposals. And I think he was the difference He was. in he the last quarter. Them, for yep. sure. I am obsessed with Josh Rochelle. <laughs> I, I absolutely loved him and Finn Callahan were my two favourites in last year's draft yeah. class. Watched them closely at under-18 level. And I am just absolutely upset. Maybe it's because I'm small and I love a small forward. That was yeah. my position when I played footy. But, you know, he is just, I mean, it's such a hard position that he plays. Mm. And he just, his work rate off the ball as well, just yep. watching him. Yeah, I didn't realise that about him until I yeah. watched yesterday, that he works really hard yep. up and he works hard back. Um, and do you think that he's in any way, shape or form daunted by the big stage? No, he absolutely loves thrives. it. He thrives on it, doesn't he? Thrives it? on it. It was funny, in the post-match yesterday, he was asked a question on the ground. You know, um, Jason Dunstall, who's kicked over 1,200 goals, says he would have you kicking for his life. What do you make of that? And he was like, oh, yeah, that's pretty good. Like, he, he was just like, yep, I'll accept that Nonchalant pressure. Nonchalant about one of the greatest he ever. He loves it. I absolutely love the strut that yep. he has at the moment. And then last night here at the MCG, not a lot of Demons fans around. I think they must all be uh, down the peninsula because Buller's not open yet. But um, <laughs> it was an absolutely ruthless showing. the text showing. line fire up there? <laughs> I know. Well, they might not have reception where they no, are. True, um, true. Yep. It was a ruthless um, performance, wasn't it, it was. last night at the MCG against the Giants? That third quarter was unbelievable. Ten goals. Was that the third time in history that I was hearing last night that there's been ten individual goal kickers in a yep. quarter? 
Correct. Yeah. What did you? Where do you currently sit with um with the Giants? So I was I was getting really frustrated. I've been a massive advocate, and and I am all in on expansion in non traditional markets. I really want um I really want them to be a success. I want the Suns to be a success. Ten years in now, and they used to. I used to know what the Giants stood for. Yeah. And I don't know now. Yeah. There's there are there's talent on that list that 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 is the envy still of a lot of ta- like St Kilda's list to me isn't as good as the Giants list on paper o- on paper Adelaide's list on paper isn't as deep as and as as talent stocked as the Giants list but you know exactly what those teams at, at this stage of this year stand for and I can't figure out what it is about the Giants they were really there was commentary saying that the effort was there and all that kind of stuff. I don't know. I, I might just not be a very good judge, but I just didn't quite see it, and I thought they were really disappointing. Um, and, and that's really disappointing, given again just how stocked they still are. Even without Toby Green, like if you look and you, you get surprised at times. There's another top ten. Oh, he's a top ten. Oh, that's Josh Kelly. Oh, that's Lockie Whitfield. Oh, you know Jesse Hogan's up forward. Yep. Like you get. Oh, I think we 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 might have thought because of how many players have left them that they're bereft of talent. They're not. It's no, everywhere. It's stocked, but it's just that chemistry on field. It's something is just yeah. not clicking at the moment. All the pieces of the puzzle are not coming together. And, and you feel for Leon Cameron. He's been in the Absolutely. job for nine years. They're one and four. The Giants have put off contract talks to renew his, you know, deal for until the end of the year. The pressure is just mounting. They play St Kilda on Friday night mm. in Canberra. I mean, if you're the Giants, you're sitting there and you think, oh, Alistair Clarkson is uh, is available. Imagine what he might be able to do with your list. And I'm not saying Leon's done a, a terrible job. It's just not happening no. at the moment. And sometimes after nine years, you just need fresh voices. You need a different strategy or, or players just need to hear something different or said to them in a way that challenges their thinking. And for whatever reason, it's just not working at the Giants. They look just lost, completely lost. They're nowhere for mine. Yeah, I can't figure it out either. And, and I was thinking about this last night. I hate, and I know that you're the same. I don't want to, I'm not a coach killer. Like I'm not a big one. I'll sack the coach, sack the coach. I wonder whether it's even in Leon. I mean, I'm just thinking out loud here, just pontificating. Yep. I wonder, then they've put contract talks off until the end of the year. I wonder if it, it's even in Leon Cameron's best interest to go, I, I might be better suited somewhere else. Well, the thing is, when you put off contract talks, you've got all, the players. It's not his fault. No. I just don't think it's his fault. No, but the players are going, okay, so I'm listening to Leon. Is he going to be here next year? You know, it just creates all this mm. doubt. And, and that's what I guess can. Oh, it's a domino effect sometimes when that just sort of breeds. But, look, I hope the Giants can turn it around. I'm not sure that Toby Green is the answer. He's going to make a huge difference to that side. That's mm. for sure come Friday night. But is he the answer to all of their problems? I don't think so. I think they they run a lot deeper than just, you know, their forward line and, and not taking yeah. the opportunities that they had. And they had opportunities in that first quarter. They did. And do you remember when, when they came into the competition, Kevin Sheedy and, and the recruiting staff did such a great job of, of going after essentially mongrels. Yeah. Like they, competitive Combative, beasts. confrontational. Yep. yep. They served it up. They were getting smashed, but they were in your face. They, 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 gave, like they gave everything. And I'm not saying that, and, I'm, and I, as someone who hasn't played at the high school, I'll never ever point and say, oh, they just didn't try or whatever. No. Oh, that's not, I've got no business ever 
But what I knew then was what they stood for. And that what was they were their all about. DNA. Yeah, it was, wasn't yep. it? And so I can't figure out now what they are as a side yeah, and what they stand for. Yeah. So it's 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 really frustrating. It's it's disappointing because I want those games don't help um, in the mission that, that that they're trying to do, and and in so many ways have been such a positive thing for the game and the growth in those areas. Um, has just been exponential um, in participation in women's footy as well. So they do so much good, but you can't – those performances just just kill you. Yeah. So while the Giants are certainly struggling, the Demons, on the other hand, have had a perfect start to their season. We will discuss all of that, a deep dive on the Ds, the unstoppable Ds after this break. You're listening to Sunday Crunch Time. Award-winning Crunch Time. You're listening to Crunch Time for Thirsty Camel Bottle Shops. Answer the camel's call, Thirsty Camel Bottle Shops. And we'll be taking calls all weekend on the Kogan open line. Make the call. Switch to Kogan Mobile from $2.90 for 30 days with a big 20 gig of data. Nat Edwards, Sam Hargraves, and hopefully Josh Jenkins with you. Josh, have we got you? Good morning. How are we? Hey. How was the Easter egg hunt? <laughs> um, not too bad. Not too bad. I, um, I'm sweating up a storm. I've been running all over GMHBO Stadium because someone thought they'd lock the SEN commentary box, so I can't access the box. So I'm I'm in a makeshift office here in the Cats football department. So um, I thought Can I'd I be sitting say- up top watching... Can I just say, yes, JJ, Sam. just in your defence, just so people get the wrong idea, I can see you, Nat and I can see you through Zoom mm-hmm. and we see that you're in an office. It sounds like you're in the toilet, but for those listening, <laughs> I can assure you that he's not in the office, he's in an office. So just, I just want to have you back there. Yeah, well, I, I, I'll, try and, I'll try and find a better spot, but <laughs> Benny Lyon and I have uh, been back room working our tails off to try and get something happening. So... Um, hopefully we can come up with something a bit better. But at the very, very least, we'll be able to talk a bit of footy. Good. Well, we're glad that you have jumped on before we're at the top of the show. We were we were talking about the Saints, and I want to go back to this because we had a, a text in from Emad who said, I think the Saints are the only team that haven't played anyone this year who finished in the top eight last year. All five games have been against bottom eight sides. Great observation. And, Sammy, you've got their next three weeks. Who are their opponents? So they've got the Giants, and on form, you'd – Back them in on that one. You'd back them in to take on Port in round to beat Port in round seven. The D's in round eight looms as that's a test. obviously that's everyone's biggest test this year. JJ, I mean, how much stock do you put in top eight finishes from last year as opposed to who teams are playing this year? Does it worry you too much that the Saints haven't played anyone in the top eight yet from last year? Oh, not really. I mean, we what we shouldn't do is is um. I don't think we should downgrade anything St Kilda have done because of mm. who the fixture has given them. Um, you can only beat who's put in front of you. It's a, it is an old saying, but it is there's there's value in in assessing who they've played and who did what last year. But the thing is, we just don't know. We're, we're kind of trying to forecast what who will be good and who they're playing now. And the reality is, there'll be teams that finish high up in the ladder late in the year that. We'll look back on and say, oh, that was actually a better win than we thought. Or that was a win against a team who we thought were going to be good this year, but they actually won't. So I guess not, not until the season 
is completed in its totality. Do you know how good a win is? But from a St Kilda point of view, all they can do is perform and they're performing. So I like what I've seen from them. They were good again yesterday and they've got the inform tall forward in the game as far as I'm concerned. Ooh, Max King. I like it. I mean, what about Taylor Walker? He's been very, very good since his return. And then Tom Hawkins, they're probably the, the three for mine. And Joe Danaher, we can't forget Joe. Jeez, the tolls are really standing up this year. And um, we've had bags of four and five kicked nearly every week. Yeah, well, I mean, you got to throw Aaron Norton into that mix as well. He, to my eye, was banged up early in the season. I reckon he was. He had that calf shin strapped up for a couple of weeks. He looked good on Good Friday. Um, but Max King, just going back to King, he's kicked three, four, 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 and one goal, three. So he's just generating a lot more opportunities for himself. I think he's starting to understand AFL footy. What is he, third season that? Is it his third season? Uh, well, you have to write off that first season because he had that ACL that he was he was coming off. I think it's his fourth. Mm. His first year, he was, uh, I think, fourth in their best and fairest playing centre-half back, wasn't yeah. he? In his first full year of footy. He, yeah, he's we'll in, have to go and in, check the books uh, on both, that one. both of the brothers are incredible athletes. Ben's more, I think Ben's more adept on the ground, but Max is just, Max heard Dermot Brereton speaking on this. Max can go up and get the ball from a height that no one else in the game can really go up and reach. So when he gets three or four gather steps, launches up at the footy, no one else can really reach how high up he is. So he's marking the footy really well. He kicked 15 goals in his past month, averaging seven marks per game. We see those kinds of marking numbers from defenders and midfielders for the most part, but Max King is is really separating himself as a young forward in the game. Yeah, 16 goals for 2022 so far. Equal first on the Coleman medal race with uh, Joe Danaher, of course, who's also been in really, really good form. I am looking forward to that game in a few weeks, as you say, Sammy, um, against the D's. We have to talk about Melbourne because (laughs) you look at them and, and JJ, you would watch that game last night. They just look unstoppable. And to me, I'm just thinking, where are the chinks in their armour? Because they have such great depth as well. They've still got Ben Brown to come back into the side. Um, You know, they've been dropping some of their premiership defenders. Mm -hmm. I just think that, like, even the younger kids like Sparrow, um, Spargo looks like he's he's getting better um, each week as well. And then James Jordan just stepping up last night with 20 touches too. You know, it's even the young Ds that are really pushing them forward. It just seems like there's no chinks in their armour. Well, I mean, they're unbeaten at AFL level five from five. They're also unbeaten at VFL level three from three. They... You'd expect them to handle Coburg in the VFL today. So, I mean, they just they just can't put a foot wrong at the moment. And, you know, there's a, there's a level of – there's an element of good luck, but for the most part, it's good management. They've just got a, a huge amount of players, Sammy, who are in the sweet spot of their career. And we talk about their best yeah. players. They're all in the sweet spot of their career. And Max Gorn, who matured a little bit later in his career, he's still in the sweet spot as well. So, yeah, they look, they look, uh, they look a little bit intimidating at the moment. There's a couple of things that I saw last night uh, from a stats point of view. Um, so Swamp Thing is the only reason why I'm on Twitter. Um, if it wasn't with him, you'd, I'd just I'd never have to go back there, which wouldn't be a bad thing. Um, but the 10 individual goal kickers in the third quarter, just the uh, the third time in 20 years that that's happened. Um, that, Melbourne, that Melbourne are the first side since the 1966 Dogs to keep a team goalless in three first quarters in a row. 
Um, that, that period of time when they went from 19 points up to 43 points up in under five minutes, and three of those goals are in three, they are just scary when they can get going. And they can put you away in shorter time than, I, than any team I can think to remember. And, and JJ, I was watching this, and for all of that, for all the scoring, for, for, for all the elite players, for how good they are, and, you know, because he picked it at full flight, or, or Luke Jackson is so exciting, or Petrarca just doing, you know, everything to reinforce his status at the moment as the best player in the game. It was the moment when they were up by 61 points, and this is why I think they are not just a team, not just a champion, not just a team of champions, but they are a champion team. This is why they are such a great team. The Sparrow desperation to slap the ball to Fritsch as it was going to about to go out of play, right forward pocket, into the goal square with pressure coming on him when they're already up by 61 points. The game was done and dusted. It didn't need to happen. They could have gone into conservation mode. They could have just uh, slowed down, dropped back, cruised through, coasted home. But that desperation tells you everything you needed to know. And then the celebration. So Fritsch didn't even celebrate. Every player in the vicinity got to Sparrow. That's, that, to me, says this is what they're all about. Uh, I just thought that was incredible. They're in a unique p- position, aren't they, JJ, in that they want a flag, but it wasn't at the MCG, the traditional home, um, in front of their faithful. And they are just so hungry to get it. It's like last year didn't happen in a way in terms of winning the premiership because They've got a new challenge and a new goal of actually winning one at the, at the MCG. They just look so driven, don't they? Well, I think that can be somewhat of a driving force for them. And, you know, I presume teams who win a premiership have to, in, in a way, create a new theme and a new yeah. reason to go after it again because it's an incredibly difficult thing to, to play deep into the finals and go all of the way. And, I guess you need to sort of reinvent the wheel in a, in a sense. You don't have to recreate your game style. That's the easy part. You know that that works, but you need to recreate the hunger and 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 give give the guys and give everyone in terms of the staff and the assistant coaches a new reason to fight for, for it all because everyone is gunning for Melbourne. No one looks like they can touch them at the moment, but that, that, that aim of, and I was at their premiership, um, I guess, uh, the hometown or the homecoming when they brought the cup back to the MCG and they had a big crowd there. And all they did was speak about, we loved the premiership that we won. We're proud that we broke the drought, but we want to win one here at the MCG because it's our true traditional home ground. So it's a really good point. I don't know. I haven't heard any of their players talk about it during the season, but certainly before the season, it was something they spoke about strongly. So I would presume that it's just a little theme in the background. Let's go and win one at the G. Can you imagine being Jake Bowie, Sam? I mean, you've played 12 games of AFL football and you've never experienced a loss and you have a flag to your name. I mean, what an incredible start to to a career for someone. He must be pinching himself. Yeah, it's it's similar, JJ. I think when Joel Selwood started in 2007, I mean, he won a premiership in his first year. I think Surioli did it the year after as well. Um, They didn't really ever get themselves on the end of a loss. And for him to go... 12 in a row. I mean, the fall will come. I mean, the loss will come. Um, but that's, yeah, I mean, that's what dreams are made of, surely. Unbelievable. I, I presume they're a bit slack on not making him a life member as yet. They did that. <laughs> I think Jack, Jack Graham was a life member after five games when they um, when they beat us in the grand final. So I presume that's coming. But yeah, I mean, 
a lot of it is, and Melbourne are a great team, and Bowie's a really, really, really good player. But so much of, of, of sport is about having some good fortune as well, isn't it? He could have easily, I don't know where he was drafted, but he could have easily have been drafted to somewhere else where he's yet to have played a game or, you know, he wins one in every two or one in every three. It's, there's elements of luck to where, where people land and he's landed in the right spot. He's found a role and he's, he's, uh, he's yet to taste defeat at AFL level. It's quite remarkable. So you've got Melbourne and then the rest. And after midday, I really want to drill down into this with you mm. two and, and see if we can find who is the next best in the competition. So make sure you stick around after midday here on Sunday Crunch Time for that. Just quickly, JJ, you know, Sam and I were talking about the Giants and Leon Cameron and the pressure that is mounting. Let's hear what Leon had to say after the match about that pressure. If I sat here and said there's not pressure on the senior coach, I'd be saying there'll be, I'd be lying to you, wouldn't I? Um, there's pressure everywhere, you win or lose. Um, there's always pressure because you always got the next week. Is there going to be more scrutiny on us um, next week? Absolutely. Um, but if I'm asking my players not to shy away from it and hit it head on, then it'd be pretty ordinary if the coach doesn't. And, you know, I've been there um, a number of years when we were in similar positions, when we are you know, a bit off our tucker and we are down on form and I'll back myself in and back our coaching staff in to do that. So they're one and four. They face the Saints on Friday night. You've got a feel for Leon Cameron, don't you, JJ? Oh, yeah, no doubt. It, 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 feels, like, it feels like the inevitable force coming against him and... and, and yeah, there's already, you know, there's already, I guess, um, well-credentialed people in the media speaking the, about the fact that he can't possibly coach beyond this season. And will he even survive the season? Mm. They're a team that relies so heavily green on one player. They haven't had him, so I'm, I'm more than willing to give them an opportunity to see what they look like for a month or so once they get him back. Yeah. Um, one pl- player shouldn't change the fortunes of your team, but they were really good in round one against the Swans. They've been up and down since then. Um, I want to see what they look like with Toby Green, and I want to see them. It's only five weeks; it's still a quarter of this, uh, three quarters of the season to go. So I'd love to just sit back, let's draw breath, and and see what they look like for another sort of two months before we want to go digging the knives into Leon Cameron. Sam mentioned before he wasn't sure what the Giants are now made of in their first few seasons. They were just. You know, they drafted competitive beasts. They were physical. They were aggressive. They were in your face. Do you know what the Giants stand for when you've watched them in, in 2022? Or do you think they're a little bit lost and they've moved away from, like, I guess, what made them such a good side early on? Well, they probably have had to. They, they probably are in the process of recreating what they are. And, you know, they made the grand final not too long ago. But some of their best players from those teams aren't there. Um, Jeremy Cameron's gone. Toby Green, as I said, is not playing. They've lost so much star power from their team over the course of the past three or four years that they probably it's probably hasn't struck them. Normally, you have a structure in place, but your your structure is only as good as your personnel. And they've lost so much personnel. They've been begging for a ruckman for three years. They've been asking Shane Mumford to play, who's who's tried to retire on numerous occasions. They finally get Bruce, he gets himself suspended. So they've got so many personnel issues. That's why I want to see what they look like in a couple of months' time when they maybe have some personnel on the park. And 
They're a team who's had as many injuries or more injuries than anyone, so that hasn't helped either. Their list on their team that they put out on on the park last night, though JJ is still very on paper is still very very good. A lot of early draft picks in there, a lot of guys that you would consider or are supposed to be A grade. There's a fair bit of money out on the park uh, there too, in in terms of you know the earnings of, of some of these guys. And and like I hear what you're saying, I just you know as I said that moment with Tom Sparrow told me everything I need to know about what is unconditional for the Melbourne Footy Club about. We are not just a team of great players, but we are, you know, the, the pride in being the greatest teammate you can be, which we've heard all their midfielders talk about that. That's the biggest change they've made to their game when, you know, the the, the Olivers and Petrarcas and Vineys and, and Brayshaws were all, and Harms are all told by Simon Goodwin, be a better teammate to your other midfielders and look at the results. I, I still don't think, I don't, I haven't seen a moment like that from a Giants player for a long time, um, and I and I just wonder where what it is that they are that, that they now stand for, because I want them to be a success. I want to see the Giants win a flag. I want to see the Suns win a flag. I want expansion to be put to bed as one of the greatest things we did for the game, and I'm all for it. But I, I was just frustrated watching them last night, and have been for a few weeks now. I think they've got a longer tail than maybe we give them yeah. credit for, or, or or we actually think about, like. You go through the the players, the twenty two who played last night. There is a long tail there. There's a there's a lot of players who either are fringe AFL players or are not established yet, or will ever become established at AFL level. So, you know, when you don't get much from Jesse Hogan, you know, Lockie Keefe's been a journeyman. You know, Haynes was returning, but O'Halloran, Himmelberg, Flynn's a young player. Bobby Hill's not yet established. You know, was a top 20 pick. First game. Whether he makes it or not, I'm not sure. There's still, you know, DeBoer's probably just at the very end of his career. Yeah. So, you know, Perryman the same. There's a lot of guys who who, who aren't quite there. And, and, and that's the personnel I'm talking about. There's been a big shift. And I just wonder whether they really even know where they're at. So I do agree with you. There's not a distinct game style, but I'm just not sure whether they know where they're at. They, they, they overperformed last year, in my opinion. But perhaps they're coming back to their true positioning. Well, they certainly need to turn something around as they face off against the Saints come Friday night in Canberra. Speaking of the Saints, we're going to do a deep dive on that game between St Kilda and the Gold Coast Suns coming up after the break. You're listening to Sunday Crunch Time. A sports news update for Rolled. Eat good with Rolled. It's fast, fresh Vietnamese. I'm Victoria Raptors with your sports update for Rolled. In AFL, Melbourne have reached the second longest winning run in club history by extending their streak to a dozen matches with a 67-point win over GWS. And Taylor Walker's five-goal haul against Richmond propelled the Crows to a 19-point win on Saturday. Meanwhile, Captain Rory Sloan will be sent for scans on a potentially serious knee injury suffered in last night's game. In NRL, Cameron Munster Magic has helped Melbourne secure a sparkling 34-18 win over Cronulla. And Manly have swatted away five injury blows and a David Fafida-inspired comeback to beat Gold Coast 26-18, making it two from two without Tom Trojevic. A sports news update for Roll. Fast, fresh Vietnamese. Award-winning crunch time. 
You're listening to Crunch Time for Thirsty Camel Bottle Shops. Answer the camel's call. Thirsty Camel Bottle Shops. Happy Easter Sunday to you wherever you're listening. It is a glorious day here in Melbourne. I'm at the MCG. We're counting down to Carlton and Port Adelaide. The early game this afternoon starting at 1.40pm Eastern time. I've got Sam Hargraves beside me and somewhere in GMHBA <laughs> is Josh Jenkins. You're coping all right in there, JJ? I am, I am, guys. I'm, uh, I'm hanging tough. I had to. I was a late withdrawal from the footy last night. If you can't tell, aside from being in the toilet, I, um, I, uh, I'm a little bit under the weather as well. So um, we are, we are working with one hand tied behind our back, but we'll do our best. You're doing brilliantly indeed. All right. Yesterday it was St Kilda 13-9-87 defeating the Gold Coast Suns 9-7-61 at Marvel Stadium. The Saints, well, they've won four straight games. They're 4-1. and one. They moved to third on the ladder. I'm not sure anyone saw this coming at the start of the season. I asked Sam off the top of the show had we underrated the Saints and he was surprised by how well they've done early on. JJ, I'll ask you the same question. Have we underrated them? Um, I don't think we've underrated them. I just don't think we quite knew where to rate them. We weren't sure what to make of them is probably more to the point. They, yep. I was wondering whether maybe they got themselves a little bit wrong, whether they, 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 they certainly performed really well in the first um, hub season, the shortened season. They really performed well in that shortened 17-game season. They then recruited a few players. Butler was excellent that season. They grabbed Higgins, they grabbed Brad Crouch, and they get their hands on Paddy Ryder. So they sort of thought, we're a little bit closer than maybe we thought we would be. So let's speed this thing up. Let's get some good players and let's recruit a few. And then I wondered whether they have, you know, they just quite misgaged or mis, um, misread where they're at. But I guess their performances this year, Brad Crouch has got himself back on track. Mick Malthouse called him the pea shooter three or four weeks ago. <laughs> But he's, he's bounced back into form. When he's tackling and harassing the opposition, he's a, he's a much better player. Said Ross is back into form. When they get the ball in the hands of Sinclair and Gresham and those types of guys a little bit more, they look so much more dangerous and they give Higgins and King an opportunity up front. Well, that's the thing, isn't it, Sam? Because mm. their midfield really shared the load yesterday. You had Crouch yep. 27, Ross 27, Steele 27, Sinclair 27. Sinclair moving into that midfield mix has given them that extra depth as well. He yep. has had a really good season so far. And the pace. So they were a little bit one-paced, yeah. weren't they? When you look at Crouch, Steele, um, Ross, with all due respect, those guys are able to win a lot of their own footy and contested ball as well. Um, JJ Sinclair just gives them a bit of zip. Uh, really like it when Hill goes out of the onto the wing and forward of centre. Um, uh, they've got players now that have the ability to run and, and carry uh, out of defence. But the, the the stat that I really liked, which I saw on on Fox the other day, uh, so I'm not going to uh, claim it as my own. But <laughs> where they've come to in terms of their forward half pressure. JJ, so they were 12th last year for that. And at the end of last round, they were fourth in the comp. Scores from intercepts, 10th last year, first this year. Um, those are some really big numbers. And, and that's, I suppose, that's what we sort of see. Melbourne, you know, David King speaks about this a lot, that Richmond in their premiership years, now Melbourne did it last year, to live in chaos is to live in modern footy. So you might turn the ball over, but you back yourself to, to win it back and then hurt the opposition 
when you do. Um, you don't really care if it's you're not, you're not plotting your way around and, and taking these safety first um, sort of routes towards goal. But they sort of thrive in the chaos against St Kilda, and, and it's it's fun to watch, but it's also really effective, and they're scoring off uh, the disruption that they're causing. Yeah, and I think they're, they're, they've benefited a lot. Um, Battle's been really good down back. Callum Wilkie's a player I've got a lot of time for. So they've got some defenders alongside Dougal Howard who, who stabilise them, and, and they're quite versatile. They can hand over. The McKenzie was great yesterday. McKenzie was fantastic. This is, this is nip. This is nitpicking a little bit. They, I feel like they're about a four-goal better team at Marvel Stadium. Now, we know not, not a lot of the big games are played at Marvel. Yeah. So they, they, they enjoy the speed of Marvel. It's going to be interesting to see what they can dish up at the MCG against some of the bigger, um, I guess, the contenders. And Melbourne's the obvious one, but there will be others. Has Gresham surprised you as well with how quickly he's been? He's missed a lot of footy over the last couple of years. Um, and he's just been so dangerous. I mean, 25-2 and two, uh, he kicked yesterday. They look a lot more potent when he's sort of spending a little bit. Because before he got injured, I reckon it was the start of last year or the start of the year before, he was up in the top 10 in the competition in terms of centre clearances and then to be able to get forward and, and score as well. So he, he's a much better player than I think we remember because, as I said to Nat before, he was 2015 draft and, and showed – obviously a bit early, and then has been injured for the last couple of years, and you sort of forget. Yeah, you forget how good he was, don't you? Yeah. Well, I, th- I think they've, they've realised, to your point, Sammy, that they, they couldn't just go with the same mix inside. You need to – it's great to have your, your tough ball winners on the inside and steal and crouch on those guys, but you need to have um, distributors, and you need guys who can kick the footy, and Jade Gresham is a great kicker of the footy. Anytime he has 25 disposals and 15 of those are kicks – then good things will happen and he's able to get his hands on the ball, put it inside 450, be a part of score involvements. He had half a dozen clearances. So getting getting the ball in his hands is important. And sometimes I think as coaches, you put him on a half forward flank or you put him out in the wing and you say, just do your best. But sometimes you need to help the player to help the team, get them where the ball is going to be, instruct other players to give them the footy because those types of players having the ball more often, Brad Hill's in the same situation. Those guys having the ball more often makes St Kilda a more dangerous team. The one concern I had coming into the game yesterday was with Paddy Ryder out and then obviously Jared Witt so dominant the week before against Carlton was how they were going to go at the at the stoppages and they were plus 17 in clearances. They outscored the Suns by 40 points as well from this source. I mean, credit to Rowan Marshall who did a really, really good job. He seems to always play better footy when Paddy Ryder isn't in the side. I know Paddy will come back in and then Rowan probably has to play more time or spend more time forward mm. because that seems to be the mix um, at the moment that Brett Ratton's playing with. But does there come a point, JJ, where they're looking at Ryder and, and whether he plays on next year that they have to say, well, for the betterment of this team, we actually need Marshall to be the number one rucker and playing every week in this position? Well, I, th- I think they, they recruited Ryder because... I think they wanted to protect Marshall a little bit. And he's not the biggest ruckman in the game. Like, he's not a huge guy. So, you know, I, I don't really... He's listed at 105 kilos. I would be very surprised <laughs> if he's 105 kilos. And we can... We can Maybe can after Easter. Collingwood over 200s a little bit later as well. I'd be surprised if he's 100 kilos. So, I think they wanted to protect him. But he's 26 now. 
I think he's mature enough or he's definitely mature enough to, to shoulder 80% of the ruck. But I'll ask you guys, if, if, if Ryder doesn't play, who's the second ruck? Because I'm not putting Max King in the ruck. He's big enough no, and no, tall enough, but I'm not, not putting Max King in the ruck. So if they don't play Ryder and Jack Hayes is not really in that mix either, who are they playing as the second ruck? It's a good question. It's a good question. Memory, maybe. Too small. Yeah, I agree with you, but I'm just thinking who, you know, Battle's done it before, but he's found his spot down back. I mean, Hayes is probably the one, but as you say, undersized, so he's only I don't, pinch hitting in there. Look, it, 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 that's going to be a fascinating watch because I just I think it's been proven from other teams in the competition that you're sort of selling yourself short if you don't have a decent backup. Yeah. Um, and then if you bring someone in just to be the backup who doesn't have anything, any other strings to the bow, JJ, that's going to upset the balance as well because you're sort of carrying someone. Um, and the other thing about not wanting to take memory out is going into this round, I think he and King are the number one ranked forward duo mm-hmm. in the competition. I reckon history's shown that you've got to have at least one and a half to, to two very, very good key forwards um, to get yourself into a grand final uh, and give yourself a chance to win one. Yeah, I mean they've just got to they've got to play around with it, don't they? They've you know, let's let's give Hayes a chance to to see whether he is good. He might be good enough to hold down that role as a as a second or third key forward slash second ruck. So you don't need a lot from that position. You just need someone who can not get in the road of King and Membry can can probably get close to one goal a game and not Mason get beaten Wood up do it when yesterday. they're going into the ruck. That's that's the important part. Did Mason Wood? Am I making that up? I'm trying to remember. I can't actually quite remember who played the second ruck. I think it was Hayes. Someone will tell us Hayes off the text. Yeah. Hayes, Hayes was the one who had half a dozen hit outs yesterday. And he played, yeah. he played quite well. But um, I guess he's still so early into his AFL journey. We know how good he is, has been at SANFL level. He might be the one. And, and, and he yeah, might evolve and, and, and be good enough in that role. But I doubt the future for the Saints is with Marshall and Ryder. I think it's time for Marshall to take 80, 85% of the ruck, like like a lot of the ruckmen do around the competition. And for the Suns, well, Tuke Miller had 32 touches, 16 contested. I absolutely love the way he goes about his footy. He just continues to perform week in, week out. Noah Anderson, 25 touches. Uh, And Marby Ochoal showed a little bit at times as well. He went off with an adductor injury. David Swallow, I think, dislocated a finger. What did you make of the Suns, JJ, yesterday, just quickly before we head to a break? I like what they're doing. I like, you know, I know that they have been pretty good typically early in seasons, but you can only do what you, you know, you can only play the game that's put in front of you. I thought that was solid. You know, Noah Anderson's just continuing to get better and better. Rao's the one who's probably just tapered a little bit and, and, and needs to, to probably evolve the way he plays. He plays such a brutal game style. It's really hard to just go up against the big bodies in the midfield every week and, and just continue to play really, really well. So he's the one who's probably just dipped a little bit, but again, they've got, Similar to GWS, they've just got a lot of guys who are still trying to establish themselves. I think Casbolt and Mabior Chola are doing an admirable job in the absence of Ben King, but you just can't yeah. replace Ben King. And the Alec, which to the Alex Sexton situation continues to baffle me. I know he, mm. there's obviously something he's not doing, but they would kill for two goals a game. And I feel like he could give that to them. Yeah, it's a makeshift forward line, isn't it, Sam? A little bit, yeah. And and uh, I'm with JJ on this. I think if you've got Rankin, who's still, yeah, 
not quite where we'd hoped he'd be, yeah. but you can have Alex Sexton in there to release some of the pressure. Is Lacocious the third? You know that third sort of lead Rose up. Roses his... has popped up yeah, in the Rose, last couple yeah. of weeks. So it's and maybe the midfield's a little bit one paced as well, and they are slightly short in defence. But yeah, a little bit to like. But I was hoping that they could push the Saints a little bit further, just to just to just keep you know just to keep our minds at ease because we're still pretty concerned about what's going on up there. Yeah, certainly. All right, there's still plenty more to come on Sunday Crunch Time. Josh Jenkins is here for Buy My Stock. Got excess stock? Visit buymystock.com.au. Plenty more to come after midday. The award-winning Crunch Time. Hello and welcome to Crunch Time. This is the pregame show for Thirsty Camel. Answer the camel's call. Thirsty Camel Bottle Shops. We are at the glorious MCG as we count down to Carlton and Port Adelaide. A 140 bounce today, Eastern time on an Easter Sunday. If you're joining us for the first time, welcome to you. Hope you've had a fabulous weekend. We've got plenty more to come on the show. We've already dissected Melbourne and the Giants and the pressure that's mounting on Coach Leon Cameron, we'd had a good chat as well about St Kilda and how well they are flying four wins on the trot. We haven't yet, though, spoken about Adelaide at Richmond as I welcome in Sam Hargraves, who's with me at the MCG, and Josh Jenkins, who's down the line at GMHBA Stadium. Adelaide and Richmond, what a surprise that was at Adelaide Oval yesterday. The Crows getting the job done over the Tigers, 15-11-101 to Richmond, 12-10-82. And, JJ, the most impressive part of this game for me and the win for the Adelaide Crows was the fact that in that third term, the Tigers really came back. They kicked four consecutive goals to take the lead after the Crows had led by 25 points. But the Crows steadied the ship. They showed some composure, some maturity, mm. and managed to kick the next five goals, essentially, to clinch the game. Yeah, it was a really, really good performance by the Crows. And they are, they are a handful at, at Adelaide Oval. They, they really feed off that crowd and they play with great energy. And they've got a group who does bring a lot of energy. And speak of Rochelle, who's already a crowd favourite, but McHenry plays with a lot of energy. Chase Jones plays mm. a frenetic game style. So Good they try and play a really energetic style. And I think it works for them, particularly in front of their home fans. And I mean, Rochelle is just a home run. He's an absolute home run of an early pick. And he's, I guess he's what you would expect and hope for at a pick six. But to to, to select a small forward in that, in that spot is somewhat of a gamble because we know that that role can be hard to be really consistent in. Mm. He's among the best small forwards in the game already. And the numbers tell you that. The impact tells you that. He was quiet yesterday for long periods of that game. But he's just a player who wants to be in the moment. He puts himself in the moment. He works hard and and he gets the job done. He he takes his opportunities, which is the trademark or hallmark of a small forward. I, I couldn't be more impressed with him. And the other one, Sammy, was Elliot Himmelberg. And I thought that they were making a blunder by playing Himmelberg and not persisting with Dilthorpe. Now yeah. they've kind of got a little bit of a, a, a predicament because they need to find a way to get Dilthorpe back in the side. Yeah. I, I, I will maintain that. But Himmelberg now has demanded a spot as well. So they've actually got 
um, some riches in that position when a month ago they had basically nothing. Yeah, second bag of four for him. Taylor Walker uh, kicked five and he kicked four in his return to footy with four from Himmelberg and then they got a couple from McAdam and, and you mentioned Rochelle. Rochelle's two he kicked in the last quarter, which were absolutely clutch. The situation did not phase him in any way, shape or form, which I think makes him even more impressive. But some of the numbers that jumped out uh, for me was that Adelaide lost the inside 50 count by 10, Nat, but yeah. they still kicked, um, they got 27 shots from 51 inside 50. So that's very good inside 50 efficiency. They were plus 15 contested possessions. And here's the one that Richmond won't like to see because this is what they prided themselves on in, in their premiership years, that despite the fact that Adelaide won the disposal count by 20. They lost the tackle. They won the tackle count Adelaide by five as well. So they had more of the ball, but they've laid more tackles as well. Um, that's a bit of an indictment, I reckon, when you lose the disposal count and also the tackle count. But it just goes to show, go, just goes to show you the pressure that the Crows put the Tigers under, which was really, really impressive. And Damien Hardwick said after the game too, so disappointed. He just said they were out-bustled in, in all areas. In particular, the Crows scored 65 points from clearance, which is the most of any team this season. I'm not sure a Richmond side, uh, you know, from the last two, three years, that would have happened against them. So they were completely um, out-bustled there. And, and Damien Hardwick needs to go back to the, the drawing board. We'll touch on the Tigers and what they need to do. Again, we know that they're missing some key personnel, but JJ, you know, Rory Sloan, big injury news, and we haven't touched on this yet on Sunday crunch time, but a knee injury in the final term, possible ACL. I mean, you watched the interaction between Matthew Nix and Rory post-game. They showed the vision of the Lockman test, which you do on the knee, and it was very very loose. Yep. We don't want to jump to conclusions, but the Crows are fearing the worst. And I want to ask you, Josh, I mean, he's 32 years of age, at least 12 months out with, if it's an ACL, it, could this spell the end of Rory Sloan's career? Oh, perhaps. He, I know I know him really, really well. Um, good friend of mine. I, my L, um, his wife and my wife are very, very good friends. And he's, he's one of the more, um, tenacious and competitive people I know. So I think everyone knows that. You don't need to know him to, to understand him and see that. But he'll get back, but it's it's to what level and to how long it takes. And he has no doubt he's been struggling on the field. And Adelaide had moved him around trying to find a role for him. He played at half forward a bit last night. I was beginning to think that because of his competitiveness, Sammy, he could perhaps go to half back or he plays a small defender. I mean, we, we, yeah, I mean, we, we just need to wait and see what happens with his knee. Yeah. The doctors rarely get these ones wrong, but, you know, let's hope that, that, that they have got this one wrong. I know um, Doc Susana, and he'll be praying that he's got it wrong as well, but he is the heart and soul of the Crows. They'll miss him. He's their captain, um, but let's hope that he's, um, he's escaped and uh, it's one of the one out of 100 that the, the club medicos get wrong. I think he's universally loved and admired, yeah. Rory Sloan. Um, we'd all, I think the, the football world, whether whatever part of the footy world you make up, I think everybody has just got their fingers and toes crossed because he's one of the very good people in the game. I think that was one of the real standouts of the, the documentary that he was on. You can't help but love him no matter who you barrack for or what your association to footy is. So we're just hoping for the best for him. I want to ask you two questions, JJ, because we've got text coming through about it. 
My two questions to you. We'll start with it. We'll get mm. the elephant out of the room uh, straight away. <laughs> the free kick count, 33-13 to 13 in favour of the Adelaide Crows. Richmond fans are crying poor. There was a couple that I saw yesterday where I raised my eyebrows. I, I think the, the Shea Bolton... In, uh, I think the Shea Bolton insufficient intent call just showed a real lack of understanding about the situation the game was currently in. I'm very pro-umpire, as you know. Um, Do you think that the calls so heavily weighted in favour of Adelaide had a bearing on the outcome of the match? Um, I watched that game really closely and there were definitely free kicks that were either not paid to Richmond that were free kicks or... Adelaide had possession and and dropped the ball or had moments where there should have been free kicks paid as well and they just were, were let go. They certainly put the whistle away late and a lot of that fell into Adelaide's favour. But Matt, you and I spoke about this a few weeks ago. You, you got to go through the free kicks to work out. Like the number looks completely lopsided, but you need to go through them and work out how many were wrong and how many were right. But you also need to go through the game and look at how many were missed because those numbers don't come in as well. And the one thing I will say about the insufficient intent versus deliberate out of bounds is what what we've always called it. I'm not sure that I'm not sure that the way it is interpreted at AFL HQ has been explained to us fully. I've heard it. I sat with Ray Chamberlain in the hub last year and spoke about this, and the way he explained it to me is not the way I understood it. And I was a player at the time. And a lot of us sitting around were like, that's news to us. So I don't know whether the AFL has changed that um, interpretation and hasn't come out and really fully put put that on the table because the way Ray sort of explained it was any sort of ball that goes in a direct line of the boundaries is, is insufficient intent. And we know that Bolton's intent was not to put it out of bounds yeah, last yeah, night. It's not how win the game. the game. Richmond no. don't play the game in that way. But I think to the letter of the law that the umpires have, that was the right call. Nat, how can we have a situation where we're asking umpires to be mind readers? Yeah. So deliberate, we understood. Insufficient intent is now sometimes confused, I think, in the minds with insufficient skill to execute, depending on how the ball bounces. Yeah, 100%. How can we ask umpires who aren't full-time, by the way, and I'll come back to that every time, they're not full-time in the game. They don't spend day in, day out at clubs. They're not understanding sometimes of what, in certain situations, what players are trying to do uh, and trying to achieve. How can we ask them now, with all that we ask them, to be mind readers about what a player's trying to do in a situation? It's ridiculous. It is. I personally think we ask too much of the umpires. This is a game that is so quick. The Mm. rules are so nuanced. There's different interpretations and they're changing too from season to season. I mean, even holding the ball, they were meant to clamp down and I'm not sure that they've actually been following through on that. Even the umpire descent, it's starting to creep back in and they're not paying those free kicks. Uh, I think it is a very very tough job. There is a lot of pressure on these umpires and the problem that the AFL is faced with is they're not getting umpires through the no. grassroots level. No, If I watch a game of footy, there's no way I want to umpire that. It is Oof. so complex. Yep. The pressure that comes with it, I think we just ask way too much of our umpires in this game. Damien Hardwick was asked about the free kick count after the game and uh, it was a very interesting response. Let's take a listen. Do you have any thoughts on it? Was it 20 more free kicks than you did? What's your name? Well, I can't answer that. Why don't you ask the question of someone? Right. What's your name? I'm going to hold you to it. Let's see if you make the phone call. 
I wonder if he's made a phone call in the last <laughs> 24 hours. He's Great suggestion it- from Dimmer. Great suggestion. Get back to me when you've got an answer. Uh, JJ, <laughs> clearly there's a frustration there from, from Dimmer. Um, but I would... I, I don't understand. There's an idea that we keep, we try to keep the umpires. I've changed my whole view on this. Don't try to hide them away. Bring them out. Let's get the weekly press conference. Let's get to know these guys more. When you can put a, a face and a name and a human element to someone, how are you less or more likely to reach over the fence and abuse them to within an inch of their life and say some of the most horrible things you could say to a human being? Because people don't see umpires as well, human beings. So let's get them out there. Let's hear them talk. Ray Chamberlain does a great job with Jared every fortnight. Yep. One of the best things that we could ask for to have happened in the game and for him as well. People love him now that, that maybe didn't before. We used to have a show on afl.com.au called Whistleblowers, which I yes. used to host, and we'd have two umpires in every week and we'd chat through some Bring of the back, more Nat. controversial. I would love to because, you know, I learnt so much doing that show, yeah. talking to the umpires and actually understanding the thought process and what goes through their mind and what they're looking for, the cues that they look for to make a decision. Yep. Um, and it's easy for us sitting in the stands to say, oh, come on, that was dropping the ball or whatever. Yeah. But you've got to understand the way that they place themselves. Look, yeah, I agree. I would love to hear more from the umpires um, just to to get a better understanding of, of what they have to deal with and, and some, you know, context, sure. I guess, behind all of that. I want to ask you, JJ, if you saw um, the incident with uh, Trent Cotchin quickly because we're about to be joined by um, Chad Corns from the Port Adelaide Football Club. But... Trent Cotchin kicking out at Taylor Walker uh, during yesterday's game. Is he going to be in trouble for that stray leg? Um, it certainly looked to have some level of intent. I think it was probably a bit of a the brain fade from Trent there. Um, I'll be really interested to see what happens there. I mean, it, it's one that they could probably not not sweep under the carpet, but say, oh, there was you know, it's just a tangling of legs. But I think Tech certainly um, thought there was something to it. So. Yeah, I'll um, watch this space there. It could be a fine or something coming, probably. Yeah, I feel like it's probably a $2,000 fine along those lines because that's what people have been, uh, players have been getting for the uh, the punch off the ball at the moment. All right, time now to get to our special guest today as we count down to the Carlton Port Adelaide game here at the MCG. Port Adelaide assistant coach Chad Corns has been good enough to join us on Sunday crunch time. Chad, welcome to you. Thank you very much for having me. I just want to ask you, what's the mood like around the club at the moment? We obviously know the power have been doing it really tough so far this season, but what's the mood like around the rooms? Yeah, surprisingly, it's been you know, pretty pretty positive. You know, you, you can't dwell on the losses. You learn from them. And uh, we feel like we've played some, some reasonable footy in these four games, but probably haven't been consistent enough in all areas of our game. But there's still been, you know, bits to take out that, that we like and think we can really build on. So obviously really, you know, flattening the day after a loss and, and the Monday you come in and, you know, the boys aren't that up and about. But then you review in the afternoon. Like I said, we learn from it. And the attitude from then on has been has been really good. So we just need that one win, that one win to break the ice and, and, and then who knows what can happen. Well, it could be today here at the MC. It's a beautiful day. Just one more on that. How is Ken Hinckley doing? Because we know all the talk and a lot of external noise about him and his coaching future. How is he coping with uh, the start to the season so far? Yeah, he's doing the, the best he can. There's obviously, um, you know, Adelaide's a, a passionate football town. 
he's getting um, or if you let yourself read social media there's a there's a lot of hate out there and a lot of unjustified hate and um, yeah, the kind of stuff we don't really want from our supporters to be honest but he's got our full backing like we've said all year it's not just Kenny it's the whole club it's it's the coaches everyone around him that has to take responsibility for this he he does a great job um, as you know the players absolutely love him he's got brilliant relationships with them and the rest of the staff so yeah, that one win for Kenny would, would also be uh, very nice just to take the edge off a little. Chad, good luck this afternoon. I haven't got the numbers in front of me, but I think traditionally you guys have played really well at the MCG. You know, teams talk about, teams from interstate talk about going to the G and playing and playing well. And so you must take some confidence from the fact that you have been good performers at the home of footy. Yeah, mate, it is um, you know, a special place to come. You know, the, the, the teams in Melbourne obviously get to play here you know, every second week, if, if not more than that, and we get a couple of opportunities per year. So you, know, you walk across from the hotel this morning, it does have a really special feel. You know, it's something different from going to, to other venues. So the boys appreciate playing here. Like you said, we've generally played quite well here um, and against Carlton too. So you know, hopefully that just gives a, a bit of extra you know, spice to the clash of boys playing on the, on the best stadium in the world. And big Sammy Hayes, we've heard a lot about him in his time in the SANFL and you guys have rated him really highly. Obviously, for young players, you can only expect so much, particularly playing in the ruck, but you must be excited to finally get to showcase him and give him his opportunity. Yeah, we really are. He's, he's done it, you know, the tough way, Sammy. He went through a knee reconstruction, so great resilience to come back from that. Played some really good footy for the Magpies last year, winning the best in Ferris there. And he's had to, he's had to bide his time, as a lot of young ruckmen do. He's, he's really good in the air. He's got a great touch um, you know, offhand around stoppage and can go forward and, and impact there as well. So he's one of those players that the boys love. The boys want to see do well. So you know, we'll get behind him today and, and then we'll see what happens. Chad, uh, there's times, and it's a great reminder that there's many bigger things in life than footy, but when the situation that occurs that does with Ollie Wines, uh, when you hear things like heart and scare, that does send a scare, on, on not just through his friends and immediate family and the footy club, but also the wider footy community and, and anyone in general, really. I mean, that's um, it does make you sit back and take stock. We don't often hear things like that occurring in the game. How's he doing, to your the best of your understanding, and how do you deal with something like that, which which would send a tremor through the, and genuine concern because it's something that's outside what a normal football injury is. So how do you deal with that inside the four walls? Yeah, it's a great point. Like when, when that happens during a game, you get the message from the bench that, you know, he's feeling lightheaded, his heart rate's elevated and, and it sort of just gets, you know, he's not obviously going to come back on the ground, but it sort of gets pushed away for those few hours. And then you're just really wondering what caused it, you know, following the game. And even on Monday, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't great, some of the stuff we were hearing. Like, it could be a month, it could be longer. Um, but his results and the way he's tested this week has been really, really positive. He's off the blood thinners now. I asked him yesterday if it was a grand final, would he force himself to play? He said he, said he would. So <laughs> we're really confident he will be back uh, next week. But, yeah, like you said, it's one of those things that, you know, footy becomes a lot less important when you're dealing with someone's health in that regard because with the heart, you just you just never know. So um, all in all, positive news. We have our fingers crossed for Ollie Wines because we all want him to be back out there doing what he does best. You're the defensive coach down at Port Adelaide. You've got Harry Mackay and Charlie Kerno, the twin towers, who have had a pretty decent start to 
the season, both of those. But I guess are you breathing a little bit of a, a relief, I guess, with uh, Aaliyah Aaliyah making what I can only say is a miraculous recovery from that syndesmosis. I mean, surgery four weeks ago and he's back this week. Yeah, the way the boys are recovering from that injury in particular is mm. is remarkable. Um, that used to be like an eight to 12 yeah. week time on the sideline. So credit to him and, and the support that you know we have around him to get him back so quickly. So he trained really well this week, looked really strong in his contest. So, that, so have him back is brilliant. And yeah, you said, uh, you know, debut as the defensive coach, it hasn't gone that well so far. So <laughs> um, I would have to say it's probably our best looking back line in terms of experience and who we've got down there today. Yep. But, you know, the two two tools in particular that we're coming up against are in great form, two of the best tool forwards in the competition. So we've uh, studied them. We studied them hard. We think we know what to expect and we'll rely on a bit you know, obviously some pressure, you know, down the field, which I think we can be a bit more consistent um, than what we've shown so far this year to, to assist the backs. Chad, you'll, um, you'll, you've reshaped your, your forward line again. Finlayson comes in after a really good performance in the SANFL. And Marshall and Georgiata still finding their way as, as key forwards in the game, but you're going to need them to step up and provide a bit of a focus. Have you? I know you work closely at the other end of the ground, but will, will you look to use the ball in a different manner, more so than just bombing it in and asking those younger, um, leaner, thinner guys to compete aerially? Yeah, that's a good point. I think we saw some some growth in the way we used the ball last week. Um, you know, we had some commentary throughout it that we were going backwards and, and stuffing around with the ball a little bit too much, but we believe there's there's some real positives in the way we went about that. Um, you know, we'll learn with some ways to maybe attack the last line a little bit quicker, lower the eyes a little bit better, like you said, because you know, all those three guys are really good on the lead. And even when the ball's on the ground, that's probably more their strength than, than when uh, we bomb it in long. So definitely something we focused on this week. Um, <laughs> Sorry, mate. Robbie Gray's just giving me a bit of abuse as he walks past. <laughs> Good stuff. Um, <laughs> Good to have him back, I guess. <laughs> uh, great to have him back. Great to have him back. Um, but, yeah, Jeremy in particular, he's one that's really damaging on the lead. And if we get it in, in his hands inside 50, he normally finishes with a goal. So we'll try and play to his strengths a bit more than what we have in the past. Just before we let you go, Chad, last week couldn't have been fun. Uh, we know for anyone, goal is for the first you know, in a, in a half for the first time in the club's history. All that, that's all been spoken about. You know, Ken's addressed it during the week that only one other team since 75's made finals since an 0-4 start. Do you, what's, is it temptation or when you assess how you approach this game, is it, no, we're going to, you know, the old cliche, stick to our structure, stick to this, or is it about, we're just going to have to throw caution to the wind. Like, we, we, we don't have very many chances left before we start putting wins on the board to be able to make finals. You know, you've had two prelims in the last two years. Do you, do you just throw caution to the wind and just go out there and swing punches? Or, or is it very much stick to our structure, stick to the plan? It's it stick to what we train and, and what we know, but it's also, you know, we play our best footy when we're playing with that, you know, offensive freedom and, and taking the game on. So there's definitely been that message. Also the message of just, you know, just give us one win and, and we'll see yeah. what happens. You know, one win can completely change things. You know, we watched a, a couple of docos on the, the New England Patriots and, and their story back when they were 0-4 one year is really similar to where we are right now. Um, so I think the boys took a little bit from that. Um, and we just focus on us. It's really hard, but trying to ignore all the, you know, the outside commentary and, and the abuse that the players and coaches are getting. And if we just focus on us, we are a really tight group. The connection is really strong. 
So just give us that one win and we'll see what happens. Well, Chad, we hope for your sake that one win comes today <laughs> at the MCG. Best of luck this afternoon against Carlton. Thanks so much for joining us on Sunday Crunch Time. Thanks for having me, guys. See ya. Chad Corns, their assistant coach in charge of the defence at Port Adelaide and has, as, as we've spoken about, been a really, really tough start uh, for the power this season and it's not going to get any easier because Carlton will be out for redemption, won't they, Sam, after dropping their first game last week against the Gold Coast Suns, but no Patrick Cripps. No Cripps and some old habits reared their head, JJ, last week. No Cripps, no midfield, um, which... You know, they brought in Chera, they brought in Hewitt um, for, for that very reason. And unfortunately, last week, with no pit net either, they were, they were demolished in the midfield by the Suns. And, and it, it's been scores from centre clearances that have set up Carlton's wins this year. And um, they um, were on the negative side of that stat last week against the Suns. So there are concerns about Carlton. It's a massive test for them, I reckon, with no Crips for those other midfielders to, to make a stand and say it doesn't all rest on him as it has since almost the moment that he walked in the door. I'm, I'm happy to give them a pass on last week. Yep. Because I think every team's entitled to a down game. You know, sport's mm. too hard just to expect teams, I guess, except for the Ds at the moment, but sport's too hard to expect teams just to continually just perform at their absolute optimum. So I'm more than happy to give them a pass on last week on the proviso that today goes really well. So um, intriguing clash today, absolutely intriguing clash. I can't wait to sit down and see what unfolds because Port are desperate and the Blues need to bounce back. 1.40pm, the first bounce here at the MCG. Carlton and Port Adelaide, of course, there's still another game to come this afternoon. That's between Essendon, who got their first win of the season last week. They're taking on the Dockers at Marvel Stadium. That game, 4.40pm Eastern time. And then tomorrow, back here at the MCG, Easter Monday, it is Geelong up against Hawthorne. Hopefully that one is a close one, although the Hawthorne-loving part of me says we're probably going to get smacked completely yep. out of the water and maybe I should change my mind and not go to that game tomorrow. You and I both, Sam. Nat. You and I both. <laughs> All right. There's still plenty more to come on Sunday Crunch Time. Nat Edwards, Josh Jenkins and Sam Hargraves with you. Stay with us. We'll be back to discuss who the contenders are apart from Melbourne after the break. award-winning crunch time enjoying crunch time banter check out dabble banter channels and copy crunch time bets go on have a dabble gamble responsibly call 1-800-858-858 time to catch up with josh jeans from dabble as we do every sunday josh hello to you mate and uh before we jump into today's dabble bets just explain to those who are unaware what dabble is all about mate yeah, 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 g'day. Thanks for having me. Happy Easter. Uh, so Dabble is social media meets betting. So we've got your standard markets that you can place bets on. But the exciting thing is that you can jump on and you can follow your mates, you follow experts, uh, chat to other punters in the banter channels. And you might discover and copy a bet like uh, Darren D's eight-leg racing multi that was close to $1,500 to one. So some exciting things on Dabble. Now, the Saturday lads, they were in form yesterday. They hit on the Saints and the Gold Coast in the same game. Uh, the pressure is on us today, Josh, to match that. Actually, no, let's better it with our <laughs> Sunday crunch time bets for today. What have we got? That's right. No pressure. Nice little three-leg multi there yesterday. Today, we're looking at the Blues to cover the four-and-a-half-point line. 
plus the Bombers uh, to have that little head start with the four and a half points. So what are you liking there? Yeah, absolutely agree with you on both of those. I think uh, Carlton will absolutely will will there's no drama in them accounting for mm. Port Adelaide today. I think um, I think Port will be more competitive, and I think so. The, where you've got the line is 100% right, um, and, but I think Carlton will be too good uh, in the end and continue on and go four and one on the year. Yeah, absolutely. So if you want to copy that bet, it's super simple. Just download the Dabble app. You can follow the Crunch Time AFL team. Copy with one click and go on, have a dabble, dabble socially and gamble responsibly. Beautifully done, Josh. Thanks so much for joining us, mate. We'll catch up with you next week. Thanks, guys. Sunday crunch time. Still a little bit more to get through, Sam. And I want to pose a question to both of you. We were building up to this moment because we have spoken. I hope you're ready because I'm not. (laughs) Um, We've spoken about Melbourne at length this morning. Clearly a cut above the rest of the pack at the moment, a perfect start to their season. There are three teams on four and one below them on the ladder. That's Brisbane, St Kilda and the Swans. The Cats obviously yet to play. That's coming tomorrow. We've got the Bulldogs as well. If you have to pick one team, who is the second best team in the competition right now? And who is the team that can really challenge Melbourne for this flag? It is a juicy question and it's not one that I actually have the answers to because I reckon you can make a case for probably two or three of those sides that I spoke about. JJ, what are your initial thoughts? Um, well, there's two parts to the question because one is, uh, and we shouldn't just presume Melbourne will just continue beating the life out of everyone because they will, <laughs> you would think they will encounter some misfortune at some point. So they'll lose some good players to injury or suspension at some point. They had a, a brilliant run with injury last year. And if you look back on premiership teams, I think West Coast might be the only one in the past you know, a handful of years who won a premiership without some really key players. They had no Nick Nat Nui and no Brad Shepard. So Melbourne had a great run with injuries no last year. So yep. I would think they'll get some at some stage. So one element is, do we presume Melbourne are going to continue on? If they do, Brisbane are more than capable. They would have really been disappointed that they didn't beat the Cats down here at Geelong. But on their home ground, they look like they are just that little much, sorry, little bit better than they have been. I think there's a little bit more composure. Danaher's playing better footy. I think they're a really strong chance, particularly up there in Brisbane. Um, I think Geelong have shown that they will continue to be amongst the top four or five teams. A lot of people wanted to write them off. I haven't seen anything that would suggest that they won't be around the mark. And Sydney are the other one. Are they a little bit too young? Are they before their time? Or are they that new um, kid on the block who's ready to really make a charge? I think they might be the latter. I think they might be ready to rock and roll. And um, aside from that, I mean, Carlton, it's a bit of a TBC. We need to see it today, don't we? Aside from that, I'm not sure Collingwood are ready. They're still establishing their, their personnel as much as anything. And St Kilda, I think we want to see more. So... Brisbane, Sydney and Geelong and then maybe a big gap to the rest. It's a big tail. It's Brisbane for me, Nat. Um, history shows us that you need to be um, top four, roughly, in both offence and defence. 
if you're going to win a premiership. Melbourne last year were, were top four defence. It took till Ben Brown came back into the team uh, just over halfway. They were 10th, I think, at the time, 8th in scoring at the time. They ended up finishing the regular season in 4th yeah, right. in scoring. Uh, if you go back, you'll see enough examples to know that that's what history tells us. Brisbane at the moment are the only team that are top four for both coming into this round. And uh, they're the number one scoring team in the competition. They're still getting used to, I think, I always said that Joe Danaher was going to be better in his second year than uh, he was ever going to be in his first. They'll get Hipwood back at the halfway mark. And by the time they get games into him, he'll be cherry ripe for finals. Uh, Cam Rain is only going to get better as the year goes on. So for me... Uh, I think that Brisbane are the second best team in the competition, just ahead of Geelong. Uh, I know Geelong beat them. Um, Geelong's best, I think, is uh, when now they're playing in a way that is actually uh, plays to their strengths, and that's their forward line with those uh, with Hawkins and Cameron and Stengel at their feet. So I've just got Brisbane ahead of Geelong at the moment, but it's very close. There's daylight uh, after Melbourne, and then they're all sort of fighting it out for second. But I'll go with Brisbane for now. I think that's the point, Sammy. We may well be just looking for, for for second place or for an opponent for the Ds to play because I was sent this stat, and this is incredible. So the game's played since conceding 100 points. So this speaks to your team defence and not conceding big scores. Brisbane are the second best team. So it's been 10 games since they've conceded 100 points. Everyone else yep. is below that. Melbourne have played 54 games since they've conceded 100 points, 44 games oh, better than wow. the next best. That, that, that it, um, it was sent to you. You win Melbourne stats team. today. You win stats. <laughs> it took me a while. While the man behind you sent me the stat, a, an, avid, an avid demon. Oh, it's an incredible, <laughs> but it's an incredible stat. They are just, they have a stranglehold on the competition at the moment. And um, until, until I guess we see a, a genuine contender, and someone start to bridge the gap in terms of those sorts of numbers, it's hard to look past them. Yeah, I honestly can't look yeah, past the Ds right now. But my preseason prediction, the crystal ball that we did on AFL.com.au, you know, I had a Brisbane-Melbourne grand final. So for mm. me, Brisbane's still me the too. one. I feel like there is a lot of ups, upside still to come, especially with Eric Hipwood coming back. I'm still waiting for Cam Rayner to absolutely tear a game apart. It'll happen. It's hap- Yeah, I reckon it's going to happen. Yeah. but. You know, just looking at their depth, I think they're, they've probably got, you know, those elite players across mm. each line, as do yeah. Melbourne. So in terms of, of that, I have them right up there. Geelong, I still think, are, are a terrific side, but we talk about that ageing list and whether they have what it takes and that extra depth. I, I'm still juries out. Swans for mine, I love the young core that they have with those under 26 players who are just, you know, the, the closeness and the bond that those young guys have, you can actually see that out on the field and, and they're playing some terrific footy for mine. So they're another one and we can't forget the Western Bulldogs either. Like You just think that they're going to be hopefully around the mark. There's a few question marks. I still think, you know, defensively they need a, a little bit of improvement and, and everything can't just rely on Aaron Norton and Cody Waitman up top no. um, in attack and, and having the bond go forward as well, you know, on the, on, uh, the other night when they played. But, yeah, for me, it's just Brisbane's probably the one. That's, that's where I'm at. So it's a, it's, a tough, it's a tough conversation. Like, honestly, as you sit here right now after five rounds of footy, it's just, it's just Melbourne, isn't it? We're sick of talking about Melbourne. I think it our is, producer, um, Ben Lyon, puts us up to it, JJ. Think about a grand final <laughs> right now. Melbourne hosting Brisbane at the MCG. It's Melbourne by how far? That's the 
that's the scary part about it. Brisbane are a capable yeah. team, but at the MCG, that game would be if you're if you're forming a head start, you'd be giving Brisbane four goals, I reckon. So Nat had written down. I'm, I'm peering over a shoulder, and I'll, I'll steal it from you, Nat. But it is the best question. How do you beat Melbourne if you're going to? And I'm curious to. The, the, and and when I'm thinking about how would I how do you answer that question? If they get Hipwood back, so the beauty of the Melbourne's defence has been the fact that whether it's been Tomlinson or Petty playing that role, basically that's the equivalent of the designated driver. You go out for some drinks, we're going to hand you the keys, <laughs> we're going to go off and have some fun, you'll be there to drive us home when we need you. That's what May and Lever have been able to do for a lot of times when they've had that designated driver down back. Yeah, they do have to man up at certain situations and May is as good a one-on-one defender as anybody, but they have that luxury if they can get Hipwood back and firing, with McStay now one of the most highly sought-after mm. free agents at the end of this year, those three talls are going to mean that you are going to have to put work into all three of them, JJ, which then opens the door for whether it is uh, Charlie Cameron to get off the chain from you, uh, McCarthy to get off the chain from you. Does Rayner go forward and, and give you some headaches? Zach Bailey goes forward to give you some headaches. They've got a lot of avenues to go. So do Melbourne, but I'm just thinking Nat's question about how do you beat them I wonder if Brisbane do have the forward line to have to make Melbourne yeah, defend more them. one-on-one and stretch them a little bit. They they have they have the firepower. I think you need the firepower. You can't expect mm. to. We saw what happened when Port Adelaide said, let's try and shut it down and let's try and make it a dog fight. Well, Jake Lever said after the game that they thrive on that. They love that. Yeah. And, you know, we yep. speak about just through the stat out there, 54 times in a row, they've kept opponents to under 100 points. So if you try and make it a beat them 70 to 60, it won't work. I think you need to fight fire with fire. And Brisbane have plenty of fire. You know, we haven't quite seen it from Charlie Cameron yet. I labelled him the most exciting player in the game or the one player I'd, I'd, lo- I'd um, like to go and see the most. He hasn't quite hit his straps yet. But Danaher's in match-winning form. McStay's yep. thriving as that second slash third banana. They get Hitwood back. I think McInerney and Fort, they are nowhere yeah. near. They are nowhere near the combination that Gorn and uh, Jackson are. But maybe on any given Saturday afternoon in September, they could just <laughs> they could just nullify them. That's all you need to do because they're getting Melbourne are getting so much dominance from that position, no matter which Ruckman's yep. in there that if they can nullify that, give Neil and McCluggage and those guys an opportunity, then you never know. But they're a formidable outfit at, Mel- at Melbourne. It feels like it's happened so quick. They've gone from... a weakness, isn't it? They've gone from nowhere um, 18 or so months ago to just completely dominant across the entire competition. IDs fans are certainly up and about, even though they didn't turn out to the game last night at the MCG. They were all too Where busy. Where were your D's fans? I know. Come on. I mean, it was against the Giants, so you'd probably... Well, hey, St Kilda and uh, Gold Coast got 18,000. What was it last night? 20,000. Yeah. Well, it wasn't, it wasn't a good number, but I reckon they'll all turn out for that Anzac Eve clash against Richmond, which is coming up yeah, uh, on Sunday in a week's well, time. Oh, yes. Uh, plenty still to come on Sunday. Crunch time as we count down. <laughs> should say the daggers I'm getting. Carlton and Port Adelaide game here at the MCG. Our talkback is to Kogan Mobile. Make the call. Switch to Kogan Mobile. Crunch time thanks to Thirsty Camel Bottle Shops. We'll be back right after this. The award-winning Crunch Time. 
Welcome back to Sunday Crunch Time. Nat Edwards, Josh Jenkins and Sam Hargraves with you on this wonderful Easter Sunday. We are at the MCG counting down to the Carlton and Port Adelaide clash here. First bounce at 1.40pm today. A little bit of a later start time for the Sunday early game, given it is Easter, but it is a glorious day here at the MCG. I think it's going to be a very, very hot one. Perfect conditions if you're a fan coming to the G or a neutral supporter. It's great to watch footy. JJ, I'm not sure you'd like to play footy in uh, what I think is going to be about 27 degree heat. Oh, it sounds pretty good to me. The, uh, there's no <laughs> play, better place to be than the MCG when it's when it's uh, fine and sunny, there always tends to be a little bit of breeze. It's an impossible place to to know what to do when you're having a shot for goal. I think the, uh, the safe bet is just to kick it low and straight. But hopefully they get a good turnout. I know Port aren't a, a huge um, drawer. They've got a bit of a following in Melbourne. They'll give themselves a chance to power. I think they'll be pretty keen. We heard Chad Corns have turned to the documentaries and they sound pretty desperate. <laughs> the NFL to, they sound pretty desperate to get a win. They, they think if they can just get a win on the board, then the momentum will start to, to follow. So very, very interesting game at the MCG this afternoon. And I see the great Matt Hill is in the house ready to rock and roll. He'll be, uh, he'll be calling as well. So he's doing a fine job. He is indeed one of the best in the business. The AFL Nation team, of course, will continue after one o'clock and really get into the Blues and Power game. But I want to talk Good Friday football because this has been a big talking point. I I love Good Friday football because I have nothing else to do on Good Friday. (laughs) So I'm itching for a game of footy and I want a good game of footy like I think most neutral supporters do. Unfortunately, we were served up to pretty average games, Sam. And I think it's the easy thing to say, isn't it, with North Melbourne? Oh, they, they haven't performed well on Good Friday. Take the game off them. Forgetting about, I guess, the amount of time that they've put into not just, you know, Good Friday footy, but but the Royal Children's Hospital and the Good Friday Appeal and all the work that they've done off the field for a very, very long time to get to this point. It's For me, it's an easy one just to say, take it off them because they're serving up, you know, that kind of football. Yeah, and I think it's it's unfair to to say that. Um, How long were people saying the same thing, that Melbourne didn't deserve Queen's birthday? Um, There were times in Anzac Day clashes where either Collingwood or Essendon were awful during that period of time. Yet they had the benefit of it being the occasion that it is, Anzac, and what it means for the solemnity of the occasion, the importance of it. But also the first ever game they played was a draw. So it automatically it automatically wrote itself into footy folklore and that was able to grow from there and there's been a couple of thrillers. Yes, North Melbourne and Western Bulldogs haven't had that and St Kilda, who played in the first one, they haven't been able to have that yet. But North Melbourne campaigned for it. North Melbourne fought hard for it. North Melbourne do so much around the day itself in the build-up to it. Um, They're not where they want to be at the moment, but the wheel turns. They shouldn't lose it. They should be told, yep, you've got to put up a better performance. The, the players should be very disappointed in what they dished up um, on Good Friday. It was it was really disappointing given how competitive uh, they'd been against Sydney. They'll be embarrassed by that. But the talk of, oh, they shouldn't get the game because they're just not any good at the moment, well, that would then mean that we've got to do that for every club that has a marquee 
time slot fixed in every year that the moment that you're not uh, at the pointy end of the ladder, you're going to lose it. That just sets a really bad precedent. And clubs like North Melbourne, they need this. They're smaller clubs. They need a day that they can hang their hat on, uh, that can raise money, and then they actually raise money themselves for a fantastic appeal. So you're only hamstringing those smaller clubs when you take days like this off them. Damien Barrett, uh, one of the best uh, football minds in the country, uh, spoke on Channel 9 this morning about whether the Kangaroos deserve to keep this game. Um, there's no point sugarcoating North Melbourne's involvement in this game. They've had it now for five years. They've effectively fought for it on Good Friday for 30 years under, mm. under various mm. administrations. Um, to dish up that again, Brownie, and your point in the first quarter, that set the time for what happened thereafter. Of the five matches they've played, they've won one of the five against St Kilda when they were going through a really rough patch. And while they do a lot of work around the Royal Children's Hospital in the lead-up to the game and during the game, it's, it's ultimately the most significant what they do in the game itself. And and, and as much as they want to argue and fight to keep it, I know the AFL will have to have a look at this. Mm. As will the host lo- Do you think they should lose it? Well, they, don't have, they haven't provided enough evidence to think they should keep it. Well, it wasn't exactly a sellout crowd either. Which is- Your thoughts, JJ? Should they keep it or not? Oh, I'm really torn. I mean, we do it. I understand what Sammy said about Anzac Day and um, a lot of the games which have got a large um, following or, or they're a large event. But we do it for Friday night footy. We don't give Friday night games to teams who don't perform. So we have seen it. North Melbourne were one of the creators or one of the the driving forces on a Friday night. And they kind of lost that right when they started to struggle on field. So I can certainly see the validity in taking it from them. Um, I I also, it's just a, it's one of those events where I wonder whether it actually, is it actually about, gathering a large crowd because if it is, I'm not sure these two teams have the capability of doing it. We played at Marvel for 33,000. 33,000 wasn't too bad. You know, like what could we possibly, if these two teams were absolutely going helter-skelter and up the top of the ladder, we'd maybe get 40,000 at Marvel Stadium. So I'm not sure whether, maybe it is just a game where it's just about, about what gets done for the kids and that's pretty much all it is. And the game is just the game and, um, the the event of, of the day is everything on the periphery and the game is just a bit of a side note. I think you're right. It's, I think these are one of the games that sits outside the calendar. It's yep. about a greater good. But here's the thing too. If this was a Collingwood or an Essendon or a Hawthorne uh, or a Geelong, this conversation wouldn't be happening. A bigger club, no one would even think to try and take the game off it. It's because it's a smaller club like North Melbourne that they get ganged up on a lot. And I think that's irresponsible as well. If it was a, if it was any one of those other teams, it would not even be raised. But it is because it's North Melbourne. Yeah, I think you raise a, a really good point there. And I just think, just let them have it, <laughs> to be honest. Yeah. I mean, who knows what's going to be dished up tomorrow on Easter Monday between Hawthorne and Geelong. That could be a complete blowout. But if it is, I'm not sure that anyone will be you know, shouting from the rooftops on Tuesday exactly. that Hawthorne should be stripped of that Easter Monday game that they've played for so long. So I just think we need to cool our jets. It's it's a game of football. And, and as you say, it is for the greater good in terms of the Good Friday appeal. You know, from all reports of people that go to the game, it's actually a really great atmosphere and, yep. a, and a great spectacle off field, I guess, 100%. during the break. Yep. So I think we just need to, to leave that one be. The other part of it on Good Friday was it was just unfortunate that uh, Sydney absolutely tore West Coast a new one, JJ, in Ooh. that game because uh, West Coast, I mean, 
they didn't score in the opening term. The Swans kicking five goals four, and it was essentially over by half time. Yeah, it was um, it was ugly. Didn't need to watch too much of that game to know what was going to happen. So, uh, yeah, not a great duo on Good Friday. No, it certainly wasn't indeed. All right, that is it for Sunday Crunch Time for another week. Stay, of course, with us. We'll have all the AFL action all day wherever you are listening. Carlton and Port Adelaide coming up from the MCG shortly as well as Essendon taking on the Fremantle Dockers at Marvel Stadium. That game from 4.40. And then, of course, Easter Monday football tomorrow. Geelong and Hawthorne. Enjoy your weekend. Deck maintenance isn't fun. Move the furniture and barbecue, sand and prep, paint, seal, or get a low-maintenance Trex deck. The only colour fade you'll have to deal with is watching the sunset. Trex, the world's number one decking brand.